0: There's not much in this life that is worse than the loss of hope, than the loss of all hope. As too many patients and prisoners and POWs would perhaps tell you, you can take away a person's health, you can take away a person's freedoms, you can take away a person's family and possessions, and even though it's very, very difficult, they can still survive as long as they have hope. But take away a person's hope, and that's about as bad as it gets. As Proverbs 18 and verse 14 echoes, the spirit of a man will sustain him in sickness, but who can bear a broken spirit? Spirit. As we consider Job, we know if we were to read Job 1 and 2 that when Job initially lost so much, lost his wealth and possessions and family members, we we see his... Positive attitude is what we might call it today in Job 1 and 2, and we see that he still has his hope and all of that, but as the days go by and his hope begins to wane, we see a slightly different Job than the one we see in chapters 1 and 2. If we were to notice in chapter 7, we would see sort of this change that when you lose hope, it changes everything. And he struggled with that. Apparently, Job 7, beginning at verse 3, Job says, So I have been allotted months of futility, and wearisome nights have been appointed to me. When I lie down, I say, When shall I rise and the night be ended? I've had my fill of tossing till dawn. My flesh is caked with worms, And dust. My skin is cracked and breaks out afresh. My days are swifter than a weaver's shuttle and are spent without hope. Oh, remember that my life is a breath. My eye will never again see good. Job at this point has lost hope. This is the same spirit of hopelessness that we would read about in Acts chapter 27 at the shipwreck. Please turn there to Acts chapter 27 if you would this morning. In Acts chapter 27, in verses 1 through 5, we see the Apostle Paul as a prisoner and he's on his way to Rome. As a prisoner, and if we were to read those first five verses, we would find out that in verse 4, the winds are already contrary. And with some struggles, verse 5 finds them in the city of Myra of Lycia. And in Acts chapter 27, beginning at verse 6, it says there, The centurion found an Alexandrian ship sailing to Italy, and he put us on board. When we had sailed slowly many days and arrived with difficulty off Nidus, the wind not permitting us to proceed, we prevailed, I'm sorry, we sailed under the shelter of Crete off of Salmon. Passing it with difficulty, we came to a place called Fair Havens near the city of Lycia. Now, When much time had been spent, and sailing was now dangerous because the fast was already over, Paul advised them, saying, Men, I perceive that this voyage will end with disaster and much loss, not only of the cargo and ship, but also our lives. (laughs) Nevertheless, The centurion was more persuaded by the helmsman and the owner of the ship than by the things spoken by Paul. As we read down through those verses, we see that their journey right from the very beginning had already been difficult. Nothing was going smoothly at all. And we see that the man of God that was amongst them sought to warn them that if they chose to keep going, In their chosen direction not only was it going to end bad it was going to end really bad it was going to end so badly they were going to lose everything they held dear cargo the ship and even their lives is what Paul told them isn't it funny or no funny is not a good word there's nothing funny about it isn't it tragic how some will choose to listen to worldly wisdom and fallible human beings while rejecting the loving words of God and still expect it to turn out well. The Bible says, in Galatians 6, verses 7 through 10, Do not be deceived, God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. For he who sows to his flesh will of the flesh reap corruption, but he who sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. And let us not grow weary while doing good, for in due season we'll reap, if we do not lose heart. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do all good to all, especially to those who are of the household of faith. Galatians bears out that if we, we sow to the flesh, if we listen to human beings and we do things the human way and we, we pursue those things of the flesh, that it's not going to end well. But if we are willing to listen to God's words, or in this case, the man of God and the words that he said... As it fits our sermon this morning, things would turn out better. However, they decided that they were going to do what they wanted to do despite his counsel in verse 11. So we move on to verses 12 and 13. And because the harbor was not suitable to winter in, the majority Hello! advised to set sail from there also if by any means they could reach phoenix a harbor of crete opening toward the southwest and northwest and winter there when the south wind blew softly supposing that they had obtained their desire hello putting out to sea they sailed close by crete Please do not fail to notice, I've made it as clear as I can, please do not fail to notice the majority, verse 12, their desire, verse 13, the majority, the helmsman, the owner. They all decided, we're not going to listen to what the man of God says. We're going to, we've, we've got this figured out. We're going to go and we're going to do this. And this is the way we're going to do it. Because this is, this is what experience, human experience tells us we're good. So the majority said, hey, great idea. So the majority's all set. They obtained their desire, not what the man of God had told them, but their desire You know, there's another section of Scripture in 2 Thessalonians 2 verses 10 through 12 that says that when people reject the truth that God will send them a strong delusion so that they may believe the lie. So they got this nice little, you know, they've already decided they're not going to listen to Paul. They've already decided they're not going to pay attention to what this man of God has told them. And they're going to sail. So when the south wind blows softly, oh, that's just what we've been. That's nothing but a delusion. They've already rejected what they should have listened to. But not long after verse 14, a tempestuous headwind rose called Eurycliden. So when the ship was caught and could not head into the wind, we let her drive. And running under the shelter of an island called Clauda, we secured the skiff with difficulty as the winds blew and they, they took down the sails and the wind is just pounding them and overwhelming them their little lifeboat as it were their skiff is pounding into the side of the boat and they're afraid they're going to lose their one little lifeboat and so they secure it they bring it up on deck or however they secured it in those days they've got this little skiff it's it's they're afraid of its loss it might not have been hanging i think of modern ships they might not have been hanging it might have been trailing behind the boat whatever it was they were afraid they were going to lose it in this storm So they get it secured with difficulty. They have a hard time doing that. And it says, when they had taken it on board, apparently somehow in this storm they got this little skiff up on board. It says then, they use cables to undergird the ship. What they would do... In those days, is they would pass these chains or strong cables down around the ship and then tighten them up to kind of hold the wooden ship together so that it wouldn't bust apart in the storms when they had these really bad storms. Almost like the idea of you know a jump rope. Put it down under the ship and, and, and tighten it up. And so they did that. They used them to undergird the ship and fearing lest they should run aground on the Serta Sands, they struck sail... And so were driven. They basically surrendered to the whim of the storm because the storm was too powerful for them and would have ripped their sails and all of that. You see, being on one of those ships, that ship was what they had their security in. That ship had to be held together because that ship preserved their life. It was their shelter in time of storm. It was their protection on the open water. It was their lifesaver. And now all of a sudden, I want you to think about this in the illustration. Now all of a sudden, this incredible storm hits, and they feared that this thing that they were basically you know, protected by their life was not going to make it through the storm. That which they put their faith in to carry them through, it seemed as though it was going to come apart at the seams. It was going to bust wide open. It was no longer going to protect and preserve them. And so they did what they could with these cables to shore it up, to strengthen it up. They did what they could by their own human hands, their own human means, and their own human wisdom to try to save their own lives. In other words, they were fighting that which was way beyond their control, way beyond their control, with only the strength of their own feeble, frail human knowledge and know-how. And it was all to no avail, as it usually is, as it almost always, if not always, is. Brethren, I want us to understand, this was a fight they could not hope to win. These little cables, this incredible, pummeling, hammering, smashing storm. And using their own wisdom and experience to try to do everything they can and get the skiff on board and put the cables down. It's a fight they can't hope to win. Sort of like those who seek to fight against the rulers of the darkness of this age and against the spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places without the full armor of God on. Remember reading last week in the bulletin about little sheep family? Little sheep family that got out there away from the shepherd chose to go away from the shepherd. They got out there without the protection of the shepherd and they were in a battle they couldn't win. So many people today are like that. They're in a battle they can't win because the best they've got is just not good enough. This cruise great ship and their lifelong training and experience meant nothing in the face of this storm. Their training and their experience and the tools that they had at hand were not going to deliver them. And to rely on their own skill and tools and all of that was only going to lead them to the loss of all hope. And even their own lives. Sound familiar? We are reminded, and apparently they needed to be, of Psalm 33, verse 4 and following. Stay right here, if you would, in Acts 27. Let me read to you Acts 33, 4 and following, because I'm going to make application back to some of these verses, and I want you to just look at them. Right here in Acts 27. This is what they needed to remember. For the word of the Lord is right and all his work is done in truth. He loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of the goodness of the Lord. By the word of the Lord the heavens were made and all of the host of them by the breath of his mouth. He gathers the waters of the sea together as a heap. He lays up the deep in storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. For he spoke, it was done. He commanded, and it stood fast. The Lord brings the counsel of the nations, or in this case, in Acts 27. The counsel of the helmsmen, the centurions, and the shipowners verse 11, to nothing. God brings the counsel of all of those people to nothing. He makes the plans of the peoples, or the majority in this case, verse 12, of no effect. The counsel of the Lord, as delivered by the man of God amongst them in verses 9 and 10, stands forever. The plans of his heart to all generations... Then he goes on to say this in verse 16 of Psalm 33. No king is saved by the multitude of an army. Nor would these sailors be saved by the strength of their ship or the savvy of their fellow sailors. No king is saved by the multitude of an army. A mighty man is not delivered by great strength. Psalm 33 verse 17. A horse, or in this case a ship, is a vain hope for safety. Neither shall it deliver any by its great strength. Verse 18 of Psalm 33. Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him, on those who hope in his mercy. To deliver their soul from death and to keep them alive in famine. What's the point? The point is this. Their only hope, our only hope, is in the mercy of God. Period. When the storms of life hit and pummel and drive and smash and crush and seek to break us in two, and we, we feeble human beings, we get to this point, we want to exhaust every tool in our experience and attack it with our own knowledge and our own know-how and what seems right to us. It's a vain hope. God's eye. The eye of the Lord, Psalm thirty-three, eighteen, 18, is on those who fear him, on those who hope in his mercy to deliver their soul from death and to keep them alive in famine. Acts 27, now moving on to verse 18. And because we were exceedingly tempest-tossed, the next day they lightened the ship. You know what they did? They threw our cargo overboard. Why don't you think about that? They lightened the ship by throwing her cargo overboard. The the cargo that was going to make them money, this represents their income. That which they were transporting from one point to another. You know what? In that storm, the money they were going to make from this all of a sudden... Isn't it funny how when you're in a life and death situation, your priorities change? You know what? We're in a life and death situation every day if we'd open our eyes. All of a sudden, whatever money they were going to make from that cargo didn't matter. They heaved it overboard. It wasn't important anymore. It couldn't save them. It couldn't help them. There was no hope in those finances when they were facing their storm. Verse 19. On the third day, we threw the ship's tackle overboard with our own hands. You know what that means? That's the spare tackle, the spare rigging, the spare sails, all of, those, all of those things and supplies that they would use to make repairs. And they're in this huge storm, but you know what? They didn't have enough stuff. They'd had to have rebuilt the whole ship if they made it out alive. So they throw the tackle overboard with their own hands. Throw it into the sea. It doesn't matter anymore. All the stuff we thought was important that would save us if this ship got ripped apart. We're throwing it. It doesn't matter. The storm is too big. There's no hope in our ability to make repairs once the storm goes by. The tackle can't save us. And so they abandoned the tackle, verse 18, and they threw it overboard with their own hands. It was useless and powerless to save like the false gods and the idols that Israel had cherished, according to Jeremiah 2, verses 25 through 28. Listen again. In Jeremiah 2, 25 through 28, it says, Withhold your foot from being unshod and your throat from thirst. But you said, There is no hope. No, for I have loved aliens and after them I will go. As the thief is ashamed when he is found out, so is the house of Israel ashamed. They, their kings, their princes, their priests, their prophets, saying to a tree, you are my father, and to a stone, you gave me birth. For they have turned their back to me and not their face. But in the time of their trouble, they will say, arise and save us. But where are your gods that you have made for yourselves? Let them rise if they can save you in the time of your trouble. You see, God's people... In those days, in Jeremiah's days, way back in Jeremiah 2, they had all these, they placed their hope in all of these things that wasn't the God of hope. They placed their hope in these idols. And God says, fine, fine, if you want to reject me, and you want to put your hope in all of these other things that can't possibly save you, fine. But when you get in trouble, you call on them, see how that works for you. Those things can't save you. And this crew realized the same thing about that which had been so precious just days ago. Their financial income, couldn't save them. Heaved it into the sea. The tackle, all of their attempts to fix it themselves, heaved it overboard, couldn't save them. They're in trouble. And they're in more than trouble. They realized those things were powerless to save them in the time of that storm. Folks, just like the false gods and idols of today, what are some of the false gods today? We say, well, I don't have an idol in my living room that I bow down to, I don't have a totem pole or what, okay. But there are things today that are idols just as surely as those stone and wood carvings. Things that people put before God, things that people give more prominence and they spend more money on and more time on and more effort on than they do the things of God. Those are gods, those are idols there's a lot of idols in our world today the pursuit of sexual immorality sports wealth advanced education in the pursuit of power prestige and popularity those are all things that people devote their entire lives to today but you know what when the storm comes and this life is about to be over those things can't save you they're useless they need to be thrown overboard Lord, help us not to get to the point that we're in a life or death situation before we realize that. Because all too many people are in exactly that. And these folks here, look what happens with them in verse 20. Now when neither sun nor stars appeared for many days and no small tempest beat on... I mean, these guys have been out there. Can you imagine? Every minute must have seemed like a year. Just the waves and the water just beating them. and there's, there's uh, What a mess they're in. And no small tempest beat on us. All hope that we would be saved was finally given up. As always, hope was the last to go. But it was still gone. They've lost all hope. Verse 21, but after long abstinence from food, when Paul stood in the midst of them and said, then Paul stood in the midst of them and said, Men, you should have listened to me and not have sailed from creed and incurred this disaster and loss. And now I urge you to take heart. For there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. For there stood by me this night an angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I serve, saying, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must be brought before Caesar. And indeed, God has granted you all those who sail with you. in God good? These people wouldn't listen in the first place. They had to be brought to this point, but God's still going to save every last one of them. Just because God is good. Therefore, take heart, men, for I believe God that it will be just as he told me. Even when these people have foolishly rejected what the man of God said and caused themselves untold pain and despair and loss and hopelessness, God's still there. God's still right there to offer them hope if they will just listen to what God. The man of God amongst them said, and turn and obey him. Notice the phrases here. Look how encouraging this is. They've lost all hope. And then look, look at the phrases. The phrase, take heart. We see it in verse 22. We see him repeat it again in verse 25. And take heart twice is sandwiched around this phrase, do not be afraid, in verse 24. What an awesome God. Paul goes on to explain God's plan in verse 26. And sure enough, as soon as God gives them hope, in verses 27 through 29, (laughs) as sure as God does that, as soon as God gives them hope, as soon as the plan is explained, some immediately, instead of trusting God's way and word, went right back to their former habits of deception, selfishness, and trying to save themselves through human means. Verse 30. And that's the way it always is, God. If you help me out of this situation, I'll I'll go to church and I'll be this model citizen and I'll do whatever. And they, God gets them out of that fix, and they can't run fast enough, far enough. Some of these guys want to go back to the the skiff and trying to save their own lives. Well, the man of God in the midst of them would have none of it. Verses thirty-one and two, and in the verses that follow, verse thirty-two. Paul gives them more hope, and his God more thanks. And the scripture says, that they were all encouraged. And all 275 of these formerly hopeless men, these men that had lost all hope, made it to shore alive, just like God had promised. Isn't God awesome? Even when there seems to be no hope. You see, I want us to go back for a minute to verse 25. Paul... As we read down through, especially in verse 25, the man of God amongst them never lost hope. Paul never lost hope. In the midst of all that, all that discouragement and all everything he never lost hope. In the midst of that storm, I mean he was up and down on the waves the same as they were. He never lost hope. Why? 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 Because Paul knew the God of hope. Paul knew the God of hope who, Romans 15, 13, filled him with all joy and peace in believing so that he abounded in hope. That's why. Paul never lost hope. Because like Abraham, as we talked about last Sunday night... Paul did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God and being fully convinced that what God had promised he was able to perform. God had told him that he was going to Rome. And it didn't matter how strong the storm was. It didn't matter how much they threw overboard. It didn't matter how much hopelessness the rest of them experienced. It didn't matter. Paul had hope because he trusted that what God had promised, God could perform. Isn't God awesome? You know, in Ephesians 2.12, it mentions a time when the Gentiles were without Christ, being aliens and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. And I realize I wasn't raised in the church. But I've been a Christian now for over three decades. And I can't imagine life without God. God. A life without God is a life without hope. Oh sure, people put their hope in vain things, just like these sailors did. But when it comes right to it, and the storm is life and death, some people come slamming into the realization they have no hope. They lose all hope. I would lose all hope if it were not for God Almighty being my God and me being His children. Child. I can't imagine facing everything that you hear on the news, everything going on internationally, nationally, locally, personally, whatever, and all of these things that we see going on, I cannot imagine what a dark, desperate, hopeless, desolate place life would be without the God who gives me hope every day. You know, the word hope, the Greek word in the New Testament appears 54 times. And this is what that word means. That Greek word, it's translated hope actually 53 times, but it's translated faith once. But the word hope appearing 54 times, the Greek word means this. A certain joyful and confident expectation just exactly like abraham and paul i anticipate joyfully i know i have this certain absolute knowledge that god is completely able to do exactly what god said he was going to do it's not a hope so it's an i know god and i know god will because god said he would and folks that gives us hope in the darkest of storms It is this living hope, as Peter puts it in 1 Peter 1 and verse 3, this certain joyful and confident expectation that what this God who cannot lie has promised, He's able to do, it is that hope, brethren, that causes us even today to take heart and not fear. It is that hope, that certain confident expectation because of who God is, That fills us with all joy and peace in believing so that we abound in hope. No matter the storms we might have to face in this life, and there are plenty. Because we're certain, we know God and who He is and we know He can do what He said. No matter the storm, no matter what's going on around us, no matter the chaos and the loss and the confusion and all of that stuff. It is that hope... Which serves as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, no matter the length, the strength, or the ferocity of the storms. Some of you folks been in some bad storms the last year or two, maybe, huh? Tell you what, it is this certain knowing God that is our anchor in those storms. Turn with me to the book of Hebrews, chapter 6. And if you have time this afternoon and you want a little firmer hope go home and read starting from hebrews chapter six and verse eleven all the way through twenty but we're only going to read beginning in hebrews six and verse seventeen it says this thus god determining to show more abundantly to the heirs of promise the immutability of his counsel confirmed it by an oath that by two immutable things two unchangeable things that is in which it is impossible for God to lie, we might have strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold of the hope set before us. My hope is not in men. My hope is not in world or local circumstances. My hope is not in the circumstances around me. My hope is not based on on things. My hope is based on God and God alone. And that hope will take us through any storm. God says, I will be with you. Did God say, never will I leave you nor forsake you? Did He say that? Can we put our hope in that when the storms rage? Can we anchor to that? That's what makes us different from the world around us. We're not throwing everything off. We already have. said God is our hope. Look in Hebrews 6 again. It says in verse 19, this hope we have is an anchor of the soul. Both sure and steadfast. It is this hope which we have in the promises of God that sustains and strengthens us even, even, even in the face of the death of a faithful loved one. Turn with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. This certain, sure, confident expectation that God is able to do exactly what he said. That is our hope even then. First Thessalonians 4 and verse 13, he says, I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. For if we believe Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. Is that a promise? Can we count on that even when a faithful loved one dies? Can we count on God to do that? Yeah. We don't need to be like those people with no hope. We have this confident, sure, certain expectation. And it gives us joy. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord. In other words, God said this, verse 15, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. The Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, the voice of an archangel, the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Thus we shall always be with the Lord. Comfort one another with these words. We've lost a lot of saints around here in the last ten years. But you know what? I know that those who died in the Lord, we're going to see again. And so, my hope is... A certain knowledge that God will do exactly what he said. And folks, as we talk about that hope, this doesn't even detail some of the Old Testament passage that, that undergird and reinforce our hope, like the idea of those, those cables around the ship. We're going to explore some of those Old Testament passages tonight and talk about hope more. But listen, if there's anybody here this morning that is sick and tired of the hopelessness of a life lived without listening to and obeying the God of hope. You can change that. If you know somebody that needs a copy of this lesson that's living out there a hopeless life and they're completely pummeled by what life is doing and they need to understand there's no hope in anything but God. If you're sick and tired of the hopelessness life lives seeking to find lasting meaning or pleasure or purpose in some of the idols that people pursue today that are going to get thrown overboard in the end anyway. You never see a hearse pulling a U-Haul. Before it comes to that point and they lose all hope, or you do, cast those things aside today. Put your hope and confidence and faith in the God who keeps His word no matter what. And you can be like Paul. You can ride out any storm and know. Because you are absolutely certain of God and who He is and what He's done for you. If you have accepted His conditions for being saved, if you are here this morning... You've never repented of your sins and been baptized into Christ for the forgiveness of those sins. You need to put your hope in God. There's nothing in the water. Water doesn't do anything. It's just what God said to do. And so you place your confidence in Him to save you. Because you believe that if you get in that water, that He will forgive you, just as He says in Acts 2.38. That He'll wash away your sins, as it says in Acts 22.16. Don't put your faith and hope in anybody else. The only hope you have is God. Ephesians 4, 4-6, through 6, we have one hope, and that's God Almighty. If you don't have Him as your hope this morning, if you need to be baptized, or if you have been baptized, then you need to have the prayers of the church because you haven't been living a hopeful life. We can help with that. But I want to ask you, please, do not leave this building this morning hopeless. I don't know what's going on in your life. I don't. You don't know what's going on in mine. So There. <laughs> But if you belong to God, you need to be like Paul riding that ship through the storm. And you need to understand and have a certain absolute expectation that what God has promised, He is completely capable of and will carry out because God cannot lie. We have an awesome God. If He is not your God this morning, please come to the front if we can help as you stand and sing.